Series two of the Crib Room podcast is thanks to Emmage Your Services for plumbing, excavation, controlled waste and carpentry services in Kalgoorlie, Boulder, Western Australia. Emmage Your Services are a multiple service-based company implementing higher quality standards in safety, client communication and job delivery, which has been paramount to Emmage Your Services' success. Emijor now services the majority of large mining companies in the goldfields and has maintained long-lasting relationships by continually complying to mine site specification through vehicles, staff and machinery. Visit emijor.com.au for more. PL7910. This is a Crib Room podcast. Bringing you industry news, views and happenings. Welcome along to Series 2 of our Crib Room podcast and it's thanks to Emmy Jaw Services and it's a great opportunity to catch up with a great man of football. However, he's moved into a role now which is more aligned with the mining industry and John Walsfold, who is a coach of the West Coast Eagles, Essendon, uh, Cameo at Adelaide, assistant coach at Carlton, joins us as part of a Crib Room podcast into Season 2. John Woosher, it's good to have you here. Thanks, Glennie. Mate, uh, a bit of a tough man, a hard man, a premiership winning AFL captain and coach, but you're now in the mining industry. You were tough on the footy field. In the coaching box, you were hardened. And how are you finding the mining industry? <laughs> I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, the early starts are testing me out. I get up, uh, been around the place a fair bit, got been out to a fair few sites through uh, Kalgoorlie, Cambelda, out to uh, Southern Cross and... Uh, yeah, trying to get up and join the boys for pre-starts, um, that's early starts, and then maybe hanging around and catching up with the guys starting night shift later in the day, so it makes for some long days, uh, but I'm really enjoying it, really enjoying getting around because um, you know one of the big things, these guys get into a bit of a routine of just turning up for work, and um, we want to make sure that they still feel like they're growing, uh, that they've got a bit of a pathway where they want to get to, not only financially, but professionally as well. Um, so that's one of the things we're looking at with Emico Group. We feel that um, letting people know, one, you know, how important their role is within what their group's trying to achieve together, but also uh, how we can upskill them uh, and get them in a, a direction that they feel like they're growing as well, personally. Now, let's talk a bit more about that role with Emico. You're the manager of people and culture. I mean, that, what does that entail? But I suppose, is it the ins and the outs of HR? Or is it more of a strategic role for you with the company? Yeah, I, obviously, I'm not um, trained in, in the actual uh, rules and regs of HR. So uh, I keep as far away from that as I can. So the people and culture part certainly works with the workforce. Um, but more along the lines of uh, just what we talked about. Emico want to be a culture where people enjoy coming to work, where they feel like they're uh, growing individually, they feel like they're contributing to a, a greater thing other than just turning up to work every day. So the way we communicate that, uh, the way we offer opportunities to people, um, one, to upskill themselves, uh, to look at different areas within the mining industry that they may have an interest in, um, and Emico are a national group uh, and can offer people the opportunity that they may start with us in Kalgoorlie but have an ambition to work in Perth one day. We've got workshops up there so they don't have to quit a job to move to Perth. They can potentially transfer if they want to move to the East Coast. Uh, I've got some workshops over there as well. So, um, yeah, a big part of what I'm doing is trying to create that culture within the organisation where that feels the same wherever they are and those opportunities are the same wherever they may be within the organisation. Is that one of the more appeals to you? It's such a brutal industry, you know, and when I say brutal, it's uh, big hours, it, there's big machinery, there's there's 
there's a lot of labour, the hard sort of nosed approach, the way you sort of treated your footy field, really. Um, but, but is that what appealed to you too? Or was it just the ability to bring some of your knowledge and make a change? Yeah, I think it was that, uh, you know, Emico had recognised that um, strategically they'd worked really hard the last few years to build a really resilient business. Um, but they hadn't really taken the people along for the ride. So it had a strong focus on workshops, machinery, you know, big trucks, big diggers. Uh, and they came to the realisation that none of that's possible without really good people. We have to have a stronger focus and people are our real asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I like the fact that they'd recognised that and they needed to do some work in it. So... Um, getting involved with a big organisation, a lot bigger than just working with the 40 or 50 footballers you have plus your uh, coaching staff and your medical staff around them. So maybe, you know, I've worked really closely with a team of about 70 or so over the last 20 years, 30 years. Um, a big organisation trying to get the same message across through so many people mm. was going to be a challenge for me and one that the company was up for. So I, I thought it was quite exciting. So how do you go about motivating people? Because you've had some pretty tough asks and we go through your footy career for this, but you, you went over to Adelaide after the passing of a good friend of yours in Phil Walsh. Uh, you had to motivate Essendon post their, their saga. And then obviously when the Eagles, there was a lot of deafening noise around but trying to refocus people and re-motivate. How does John Morsfold do that to people? Yeah, look, I'm a massive believer that um, people are motivated if they know what they want and they know that they're heading in that direction as opposed to turning up to work, whether that be as a footballer or as a miner or someone in corporate um, and not really knowing where they're going. Um, You can understand why people just turn up and want to do the job and get out. Uh, So that's the number one thing. Help people come to the realisation you know what personally what are they really there for what are they after um whether it be a short-term thing one or two years or whether it be a five or ten year goal um spend some time with them to understand what that is because work is a big part of generally where people want to get to Mm -hmm. they 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 may be personally saying financially or family-wise this is where i want to be but uh you know most people have to work um to make to have the finances available to have some choices um so helping them get clear on um, what it is they're after and then making sure that aligns and is also by helping them, uh, they're helping the, the team, in this case the Emico Group or the West Coast Eagles or the Essendon Footy Club or the Adelaide Footy Club, um, get to where we want to get to as an organisation and really working together um, to help both parties achieve what they're after. It sounds like it's a bit of a, a footy occasion too where you, you, as a team you're trying to achieve that goal, be it a premiership or perhaps aiming for towards, towards that premiership. Are there any other things that you've sort of seen from the mining industry or talking to, to those managers or, <coughs> excuse me, people who are in the mining industry that you go, geez, this is such like a game of footy. It's just like we're all together in one, but it, it, whether it be the flying aspect and trying to just get yourself into that routine or whether it be the, the side aspect when you're away, you know, are, are there any correlations to being involved in a, an elite sport and also being involved in a mine site? Yeah, I, I am seeing that for sure. Um, there's a lot of diverse roles that happen to get to keep a mine site running and to run it effectively and efficiently. And what I see is that um, the, the measurements are really fine and uh, there's a lot of pressure on to achieve, which is very much the same in football. Um, pressure to achieve results non-stop. You measured consistently in footy um, I see that in the mining industry they're getting daily measures on how things are tracking uh, what the costs are what's happening with the costs and what's happening with the output um, and that is very similar to footy and this in mining there's even um, 
more people or more different groups involved in achieving that output. Um, from the guys who look after the machinery to make sure that it's reliable and it's getting the job done and there's not breakdowns, uh, which affects everyone, um, to the guys operating the machinery to make sure that, one, they look after the machinery to help it achieve its output, but they're skilled at what they do. And I'm, I'm seeing uh, you know, massive differences in a really skilled, expert uh, machine operator mm-hmm. uh, versus someone who's a bit more of a novice and just getting into it. So, again, you have to have that uh, compassion and empathy to say uh, he's not going to achieve the same output. You know, a first-year player is mm. not going to play as well as Nat Five in his 10th year. Uh, but we have to understand that he's working towards being as good as Nat Five and help him put some tools in place to train him up. So, you know, if that player felt like he was bumbling along and never going to improve because no one was really coaching him or helping upskill him, um, he'd lose motivation and it's the same I see with operators in the mining industry that they want to know uh, I am learning and improving all the time and I've got a greater picture ahead for myself. Where does culture start? Is it something that is as soon as you step foot through the door is it something that's in the values instilled in the company? I know you're doing a lot of work with the values with Emico um, but is it is it something that people do? Is it something that people see? How does, how does culture yeah. come about? It's a combination of everything. You know, culture is obviously if you're a new employee and you start at a business, you often in the first month you get a feel for what what the culture is. It's hard to put it into words. Um, not always. There's there's some things that are really obvious. Um, so you could start at a new place that uh, have a real social feel. You know, they have a social club. They might have a social event every week, and that's fits into that they try and get everyone involved in it and they make it fun and you can say okay that's a part of the culture here others it's just no we work flat out you know we work flat out there's no time for like stopping for a group coffee or um having a a pizza lunch on friday for an hour um so that's that's culture that people walk in and say wow this is flat out this is going fast um so there there can be higher expectations um it really just it can be a combination of everything. Then it's how people talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if you walk into, uh, as a visitor into any organisation, into reception, and it takes three minutes for the receptionist to look up and acknowledge you, that's sending a message about the culture of that organisation, not just that person. Um, because if the culture of that organisation was uh, we're really upfront and friendly and um, professional in greeting and everyone's valued when they step in our door, they would be training that to the receptionist. They would be uh, checking on that and expecting to see it. If that's happening um, and people are saying, well, that's acceptable around here, that's part of the culture that, um, yeah, we'll get other things done and we'll get around to things, we'll get around to new visitors uh, when we're ready. Mm. <laughs> so those things are alive all the time and people have to understand that uh, you're, you are um, leaking the cultures of and the values of your organisation in your actions all the time, in uh, the way you speak, the way you dress, uh, the way you carry yourself, um, how hard you work. If you're, if you're sending work emails to colleagues uh, in their downtime, in their holidays, you're sending a message about the culture of we expect you to be on the whole time. Mm. So, yeah, th- th- that's to me what culture is. And um, the leader's generally set the tone of the culture because most people see what's happening there and fall into line and say okay i'll follow that if that's happening to me i'm going to then ask other people to to follow that 
So, so in with mobile devices these days, I mean, you touched on emails every 24-7, really. You can be awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, make yourself look good and send an email at 3 a.m., but it's probably not the right approach. No, not not really. You know, just use one of my tricks. Sneak over east and then send a couple of emails early. They think you're up really early. <laughs> you know, you're two hours ahead of them. Um, don't tell them you're over there. And then fly back that day and say, did you get my email? Jeez, oh, he's up at uh, 2 a.m. today. Um, yeah, no, you are. You're sending that. And, you know, I think it's... Again, a part of the culture that I would like to be part of is where you communicate that and you just say to people, look, there is going to be times when I send an email out at odd times. Uh, It's really just maybe because I've got some time available or I've got something really front of mind and I want to get it done there and then as opposed to thinking I'll cover that Mm. in a day's time, uh, but there's no expectation to respond to it in your in your downtime. If if I need an urgent response, I'll ring you or send you a text message and say I need you to look at this email uh, and get back to me. Um, just setting little uh, sort of rules and a little system around like that. It's amazing how much more at ease it puts people rather than getting an email thinking oh, I'm at my kids' basketball game. Should I respond to this straight away? Is the boss expecting mm. me to? They're stressed straight away. They're not then fully present for their family. Um, they're not enjoying work as much. Whereas that little bit of set the standard, set the system and the expectation at the start, people go, oh, okay, I get that. He's just wanted to dump that onto email now. I'll get to it when it suits uh, my personal time. And it, it has a, a massive difference, little things like that. For businesses in mining in particular, keeping the right players is crucial, but the skills and the labour shortage at the moment is affecting a lot of projects. More companies are coming out saying that labour's their Achilles heel at the moment, if you like. As a coach and as a mentor, what advice did you give to players who knocked on your door saying, John, I don't feel like it's me, it's for me, I want to move on. Um, Perhaps you knew that they were capable and they were doing well and you wanted them to stay. What sort of ways would you try and give that to to the... player in in question or for the staff member and try and have them realize that they are very important and and that there is probably some some role for them in the future yeah well it's one it's just being honest and authentic um so not telling someone that you really think there's going to be an opportunity for them to play afl football for you in the future because you want them to stay when deep down you know you just want them to stay as a depth player and hopefully i don't have to use you because our best players are fit uh, but I need you there because you're good enough to come in and replace them if required. So if you're telling them one thing but you really believe another, they, they'll see through it. Um, they'll certainly, it'll catch you out in the long run. Uh, they won't be happy and it, then it's more acrimonious when they leave because it's like, you didn't tell me that. Mm. What, if you had told me from the start, I could have made a decision based on the truth as opposed to what you wanted. So I've always found that being really upfront and honest around those expectations. Sometimes to the point where you think this player may leave when he hears where I see him within our squad. But um, I also say to players, uh, that doesn't mean there's not an AFL squad out there that is desperate for you, for someone exactly like you, because we've currently maybe got an abundance of it. You know, if you're a a young ruckman getting recruited, if you look at Scott Lysett when he got recruited to West Coast as a ruckman, we had Nat Nui and Cox both still going really well. Mm. Now, if I was Scott Lysett, I would say, I don't think I'm going to really break into that team until those two decide they've, well, Coxie more so, decides he's had enough. Um, That doesn't mean he doesn't think, well, if I work hard, I can maybe be better than them and get a game. But uh, just being clear with them, like we've got two really key ruckmen that we're really happy with the way they're performing and producing and they're going to be in the team, mate. You need to develop your skill set 
uh, at the lower level for the meantime until you either get an opportunity and they're injured or you're performing that well that you can um, be selected ahead of one of those guys. Uh, yeah, just been up front. That the risk is that he says, well, I'll just I want to play now, so I'll go to a club that's short of Ruckman, mm. um, and I think I'll get a game there straight away. Um, but that's I think well that's fine if that's where his heart lies. He won't be happy just sort of developing and playing reserves footy with us. Um, that can filter through into the rest of the playing group and frustrate everyone and, mm. and the team doesn't perform as well as it should. So being upfront and honest um, and trying to let people know you are there to support them and help them get there to where they want to be. But again, you need to know what that looks like for them. And funny you mentioned Lysette who went on to Port Adelaide, obviously, after winning a premiership with the Eagles. I think it was announced before he'd even left. Maybe it might have been around that sort of week. It was it was touted around him going to Port Adelaide. Anyway, I digress because we weren't talking about footy today, really. Um, attracting and retaining young people, in particular the apprentices, and I know you've been doing a lot of work with apprentices with Emiko. Uh, how do you treat a younger, inexperienced person in life in footy terms as opposed to a veteran? I mean, there's two different life experiences that people have gone through, but trying to adapt to somebody who is at a, a higher end of the scale, who's, who'll rock up to work when they're, when they're not well, um, they'll fight through everything, you know, being a, an older sort of veteran versus someone younger and the expectations on a younger person are a little different, aren't they? So how do you yeah. go about managing that, especially for the apprentices? Yeah, look, it is different and it's just acknowledging that they're new. Uh, they're, you know, I always use the language novices in, in their role. Um, and for them to progress to being an expert, there's a lot of steps in a way. They don't just do their apprenticeship and come out as an expert. They do their apprenticeship and then come out still. In their fourth year, they'll be an expert apprentice um, compared to a first-year apprentice. Uh, but then they step up into uh, a more senior role and they become novices again. So you're constantly going through this cycle of learning new things. And when people are learning something new, they crave rules to know that they can follow because they don't really read the, the overall context you know, you, you put a piece of uh, machinery in front of an expert um, diesel mechanic, they can look at it and pretty much, you know, they might see that there's a bit too much grease in this area of the machine. I know what's going wrong with mm. it. Whereas uh, an apprentice first year will look at it and go, oh, yeah, I know what it is. Mm. <laughs> I know it's a machine. You know, I'll get the rags. <laughs> I know it's an engine, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know what the tools are, but I've got no idea. They wouldn't even notice the, the change in colour in one area. So, yeah, there's a massive amount of learning. You've got to understand that. You can't just say to an apprentice, right, I fix mm. that. And they'll be like, oh, where do I start? What's yep. the process? So give them the process. Give them the rules. Uh, support them through their learning. And you'll see them grow, and it's it's really um, encouraging for both you and for the the person learning their craft when they see them stepping up and getting better and better. You did a course at INSEAD in France or through France. I don't know if you went to France. Did you get I the did, chance? Yeah. To go? yeah, yeah, I did. Yes. Just describe that for us because um, it is what it describes itself as one of the world's leading and largest graduate business schools. So, what did you learn from that? Yeah, I went over there specifically looking for some leadership um, growth. Uh, and it was a course that fit, you know, it was back in 2009, I think, and it fit uh, with the post-season schedule. So it was a, a pretty intense month in um, October into November um, where they had business leaders from diverse range of companies um, from around the world, uh, from Unilever, Coca-Cola to uh, West Coast Eagles, um, <laughs> Bunnings, uh, the guy from... so. Uh, putting all these people together and then talking about leadership and working through uh, scenarios and talking through your situation and sharing your situation with other people. And uh, 
I find that's the best way to learn, not not just – I mean, you do learn by sitting and reading books, textbooks and, and doing exams, but um, learning from other people in similar positions in different industries was really valuable. And you know, even learning from how they ran the course – not always just the course content. Some of it was a bit over my head in terms of, you know, trying to open a new business uh, in a new country with a different set of cultures and value, uh, values and culture. Um, I'm like, well, uh, AFL aren't really. They did have a crack at doing that in China and uh, and over in US, but that's not really part of my role. But even while that was happening, just looking at the way people embraced learning and how they worked in a group, I was looking at it saying, oh. The, the uni or the business school have got some really cool tools for encouraging learning, mm-hmm. which I can take back and use with players um, with our content. So tailor make some learning opportunities that I, I got out of INSEAD that weren't actually part of the curriculum, but was how they were actually teaching pretty intelligent guys um, to pick up new skills. One last question before we get into a bit of fun. Uh, time on, time off. It's not a footy term here, but how do you switch off? Because around footy, I mean, everything's 24-7 now. You've got dedicated channels that are 24-7. There's so much that goes on around footy. But what is there a switch that you just know? As soon as you walk out the gate at the footy oval, uh, that you know that that's it. No more footy talk for the next 24 or 12 hours or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I do now. <laughs> I never did before. And I even, you know, in this last, three four months in uh, in my new role outside of footy it's made me realize that we do it very poorly in football giving senior coaches in particular uh, uh, an opportunity to refresh within um, a footy season they, they get very little downtime so yeah for me my biggest release was going for a run um, start the day with some really good exercise feel really fresh uh, and I feel like I'm, I'm ready for anything the day holds and I know if I'm Bugger at the end of the day, I'm going to be up next morning and, and feeling really good, ready to go again. One last question. You're making a burger at home with the family. What's one ingredient that's got to go on it? Uh, beetroot. <laughs> Lovely. There had to be someone, and I'm glad it's you. John, thanks very much for your time. I know you, uh, you've had plenty of commitments. It's We've gone above and beyond with you, and we really appreciate you jumping on board with us here at Industry Link Media for a Crib Room podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Yep. No problems. This is a Crib Room podcast. Bringing you industry news, views, and happenings.